Hallelujah. Church, let's pray. Lord, we come before you today. God, we ask that you would fill us with a hunger and a thirst for more and more of you. God, we want to be seekers of your face. We want to encounter you and experience you in a deeper and more profound way. We ask today, God, that you would fill us and that you would feed us a word of nourishment to our soul. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to come before you and to hear your voice. We ask, God, that you would continue to do a mighty work of transformation within us, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Have your way in our life through and through that you may be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Chapel of Change, and those visiting with us today online. We, we, our prayer is that you receive a personal touch from the Holy Spirit. We welcome you with open arms today. And we are so excited that you've joined with us today. Today we have a special guest who's more than just a guest, but his name is Bishop Matt Thomas. He was our bishop, our lead bishop of the Free Methodist United States of America, as well as a uh, friend of our family. And we're so delighted that he and his wife have joined with us today to minister a word of hope. And so our prayer is that you receive something today. So as we like to say, be ready. Take out your Bible, a pen, a notepad, and prepare your hearts to receive a word from the Lord today. And without further ado, help me welcome Bishop Matt Thomas. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you here this morning. And uh, I want to welcome all of you that are visiting online and, and around the world, really. And uh, we're very grateful for this marvelous church, this great ministry. And for Pastors Laura and Brian, I, I'm th thankful for their ministry that continues here at Chapel of Change and really around the world. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to, for us to uh, focus on just the expansive nature of the way that the Lord works uh, you know, I, I just want to start with this idea that there's more. There's more. Uh, whatever God is doing, he's not limited in his ability or his power to be able to do more. Uh, when God created stars, he didn't just create 10 or 12 or 20. In fact, God continued his creative work, and he continued to create in such an incredible way that he made galaxies, and we can't even kind of get to the end of the galaxies. There's more. God just continued in his creative work. In fact, we're told that he continues even to today. Now, I would have preferred that when God started making something like snakes or mosquitoes, he probably would have limited the number of species that there were there, but he didn't stop. He made more than 100 varieties of snakes and lots of different kinds of mosquitoes. God will do more to help us be humble but, uh, and maybe have a, a consciousness of what the universe that we live in. But there's always more. God continues to pour out in his creative work, but God also does phenomenal things 
in the way that he does the work within. Whatever he has done inside, there's more. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to, to Christ, if you've experienced his grace, I want to tell you, there's more. In fact, it tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it tells us that uh, you know, God is able in all things, at all times, and in all ways to make his grace abound more and more so that you'll have all that you need uh, to be able to do every good work. In other words, the grace doesn't stop when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It continues to spill over. God has grace that abounds. In other words, there's a whole lot more. So you can abound in every good work. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. His grace is good for every circumstance. You might not be able or capable to do what he calls you to do, but God will make his grace multiplied. He says to the people in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he tells the people there, he said that your faith may grow more and more as you serve him. And he's, he's uh, telling the people there that their faith has been multiplied, and that's one of the reasons he gives thanks to the Lord. That was the beginning of that verse. In fact, he kind of sums all of that up when he talks into the Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, uh, the Lord says very specifically, uh, I mean, Paul says, of the Lord, he says, now to him who is able... Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do, do you grasp that? That's a benediction that he says at the end of this first half of the book to tell, to tell the people, to remind us that God is able to do more. Immeasurably more. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. And the Lord just continues to do his work. He can increase our faith. And it can grow. We can be rooted and established in the love of Christ, in the faith of Christ. And just like a tree is rooted and established, that means it's rooted, but it grows. And it continues to abound. And there's more where that came from. So our faith can grow. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians, it tells us in one of the verses there that, that the Lord may increase your love for one another and then it would overflow onto everyone else. In other words, it's spillover love. So your grace can grow. It's going to be applied to you in every circumstance that you need. And God knows that we need it. We all need grace to help us through our time of need, the difficulties that we experience. We all know that we need to grow in our faith. The apostles had to do that. When the boat was disturbed in the middle of the lake, there was a big storm, and the waves were uh, coming over the, the side of the boat. Jesus was asleep, it says, on the stern of the boat, and the winds were blowing, and the disciples were panicky. They were filled with fear, and they, they yelled out. If you can imagine yelling to Jesus and saying, Master, don't you care that we drown? And Jesus got up. And he said, how long shall I put up with you? He says, do you still have no faith? He didn't say little faith. He said, no faith. There's another place in the gospel where he, he said, oh, you of little faith. They didn't have much faith to believe that God could heal this young boy or feed 5,000 people. And so he made reference to their lack of compassion or lack of faith. Well, I'm here to tell you that 
by the time the Holy Spirit came down and empowered them in Acts chapter 2, they weren't lacking faith. They had lots of it. They were willing to go to their own grave. They were willing to go to prison because they trusted in the Lord. What did God do? He took no faith. And the little bit that they entrusted him with, and it continued to grow and grow and grow as they saw the faithfulness of the Lord. Isn't God good? God just continues to enlarge and expand uh, whatever he puts in us. It's the spillover activity. There's a, there's a Greek word that uh, we've become familiar with, and it's called pleroma. Pleroma means that something's not just full, but it has implications for the future. In other words, it's overflowing or it's growing. I'll give you a couple of examples or a few examples out of the Old Testament where that term is actually used. One of those cases is in uh, the book of Exodus. When the people were enslaved for 400 years by the Egyptians and God had promised, speaking to Moses in a burning bush, that he had heard the miserable cries of his people and he was going to deliver them. And Moses was going to be the agent that would go back into Egypt and bring the people out. And he said, and they'll, they'll be uh, taken out of Egypt and they're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, Moses went back in there, but God had already predicted that Pharaoh, his heart was hardened, and he was not going to do anything to, uh, to let these people go. So plagues came. There were several plagues. There was, uh, the water became like blood. Uh, there was blackness in the sky. There were gnats. There were boils. There were flies. There were um, all kinds of things that happened. There were hailstorm. It was just so consuming. They, they had all of these problems. There were frogs. And, uh, and Pharaoh still continued to, to oppress the people and refused to let them go. He didn't want to release the forced labor that he had with more than a million people. So finally, God said there's one more plague that they're going to have visited upon them, and it's going to be the most devastating because this isn't about boils or gnats or darkness. This is going to be the death of the firstborn of the people there. And just so you don't get caught up in that, he said, I I'm going to give you the specifics of an evening where I'm going to do this, and it's going to save you. It's going to be not the beginning of your deliverance. So um, at this point in time, he ends up going out and uh, telling Moses that I'm going to have you gather everybody. If somebody doesn't have a family, they need to be adopted by a family for that evening, and they're going to come in, and they're going to have a meal. It was very prescribed what that meal was going to look like, what it was going to be. And so they had this meal all set out, and they, they said, make bread, and it's unleavened. Don't put any leaven in it, because we don't have time to let it rise. In other words, symbolically, you're going to be fleeing the land before this uh, bread is ready. So you're going to have this bread. And you're going to have these bitter herbs that, that are going to reflect the bitterness of your enslavement. And in all of the things that God instructed the people to do, and he said, you're going to do this through the ages as a reminder of my liberation of you out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. And he said, and I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to take a, a spotless lamb. I'm going to take you to a flawless lamb, and you're going to sacrifice that. That's going to be your meal the primary, the center part of your meal, and you're going to take the blood from that lamb and you're going to spread it over the doorposts. And when the spirit of death comes through, it will avoid your house because of the blood, the blood of the sacrifice, which we know, you know, blood kind of reminds us of death and that's the consequence of sin. This will be the consequence of the sin 
and it will cover you in your circumstance. And so that night they did that, and death came upon the people in Egypt. No death happened to the people of Israel that were faithful in doing what God had called them to do. So they thought, okay, God did it. We're finished with that. Well, let me tell you, about 1,300 years later, there was a different kind of spotless lamb. His name is Jesus. And there wouldn't need to be any more sacrifices. There wouldn't need to be any more blood spilt because Jesus is actually God's very own son who's given as a sacrifice for you and for me that if we trust in him, he would transform our lives. And Jesus had this Passover meal with these disciples and little did they know what he was explaining to them, that this pleroma, there was spillover. All these years later, people had done this sacrifice, done this meal every year, 1,300 times. And now Jesus is standing there, and he's essentially telling them, <laughs> like he said on the cross, it's finished. This is the last time this needs to be offered for you. You see, there's more. What Moses thought was finished there, now there's more. There was a prophet named Isaiah, and the people uh, from the north, Assyria and Damascus, ultimately these, these people from the north had created pressure upon Israel. They had really defeated Israel, and they were coming down and putting pressure on Judah, and they were, it, their, their threat was imminent. It looked like they were going to destroy the nation, the people of Israel. And, and the Lord gave um, Isaiah a prophetic utterance, and that prophetic utterance was that the Lord was going to allow this young woman to conceive a child, and uh, the, the word could be either virgin or a young woman, and, and it says, and he'll be named Emmanuel, which means the Lord is with us. And before this child knows left from right, right from wrong, um, that enemy is going to not be a, a threat any longer to the north. And what? There was a, in <laughs> centuries before Jesus came. There was this child that was born, and before this child was old enough to know left from right, um, the Lord delivered the people, and the threat from the north was gone, and it was no more. And we praise the Lord for that. And so you say, okay, well, that, that prophecy is done. No, it's not done. It's just getting started. <laughs> because a long time later, more than 700 years later, you have this uh, circumstance with, uh, with Jesus, and before Jesus was born, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and basically used the same line. You're going to be with child, this young woman, this virgin, and you're going to name him Emmanuel, God, which means God with us. And it says, ultimately, his name, he was named, uh, his given name was Jesus. His ceremonial name was Emmanuel. And Jesus means the Lord saves. And so this is going to happen, and he's going to deliver people no longer from a nation to the north, but from the, the most devastating uh, thing that plagues us all, and that's physical, uh, spiritual, emotional, all of the death that ultimately we could overcome all of it and reside in heaven with God forever. That's pleroma. God is essentially saying through prophecies over and over again, there's more. Um, I remember one time I was... I was uh, was met with a fellow. His wife had been unfaithful. She, he'd had an affair and before in his marriage, and he'd come back to his wife. Well, I think she was kind of fed up with her relationship with him, and so he came to church, and he thought maybe coming to church would fix, fix things in his life, but she had had an affair, and she moved out 
fact, she filed a restraining order and didn't want anything to do with him. And he said, what do I do, Pastor? And I said, um, you know, and he's really trying to seek the right kind of thing to do. So I met him. I met him at a Marie Callender's restaurant, and the two of us sat there. It was kind of a crowded time, around lunchtime, but he wanted to meet close to his work so he could talk with me. And, and so over lunch, I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to this fellow, and, and I'm going over all the stuff that that he needs to, to focus on. And I talked to him about making the Lord center of his life. You can't rebuild trust if you're not a changed person yourself. You've, you've done damage yourself in your Don't worry about her circumstance. You, you leave that in the hands of the Lord. You pray for her, but this is what you need to do. And I gave him lots of advice. I told him steps to work on in his relationship with God and how to how to be healed and forgiven for his own sin, and then how to rebuild trust as a, as a changed person so that he could rebuild trust in his relationship with, with his wife. And I said, but ultimately, if you get things right with the Lord, if she comes back, you're a, you're a whole person, and you're the right person for her to come back to. And if she doesn't come back, you're a whole person because God has made you whole. So I went through, and I gave him all this stuff, and I, I had the napkin, and I was just writing all these notes, and I was putting all this stuff down on paper. And I, and I showed it to him, and, I, and he, he was looking at the steps, but he was discouraged. And at the end, he just said, I don't know. That's a lot of work. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if she'll ever come back. said, thank you, Pastor, for trying, but yeah, I'm not going to do any of this. And he got up, and he walked out, and I thought, ah, oh, it was just a failed moment. I told him, I said, I'll pick up the tab. Uh, just, just go ahead and go. He had to go back to work. And I sat there, and I was discouraged. And I thought, yep, didn't work. You know, he didn't uh, respond. He didn't, he didn't respond to the Lord. He didn't respond to my advice. What I didn't notice is that there was a booth uh, very close by with an earshot, and I'm not a quiet individual, and uh, these, uh, these two ladies were there. There was an older woman and a younger woman. I found out later that it was a mother and her daughter, and her daughter was probably in her 20s or so, and she had just experienced her husband um, having an affair with somebody else. And as they were sitting there at the restaurant, kind of pouring out their story, they started hearing me talk to this fellow. And as I was, and I was getting, waiting for the, for the um, wait staff to come and give me the bill, and I was, I was there, and I was just getting up. I was standing up. I was getting my wallet out and all of that. I looked over, and these, these ladies were looking at me, tears streaming down their eyes. And I realized that they hadn't been talking for an hour. They were listening in on this conversation. And as I had prayed with this man to surrender his life to the Lord, um, the woman had prayed and received Christ into her life. And as I got up and I stood up and I started to walk away, the woman looked and she says, I feel so different. This is exactly why I came here. And then she, the mother looked over at me and said, can we have that napkin? And I said, absolutely, you can have that napkin. And she took the napkin, and I ended up developing a relationship. They ended up coming to know the Lord, and they became part of our church along the way. See, what I thought is, this is what I was here for. And God was saying, no, there's pleroma, there's spillover. Just like it says that your love would be for one another and everybody else, there's spillover love that goes on to everybody else when we are in a, in a good place with the Lord and we're doing precisely what he wants us to do. Our faith can grow. Our love can grow. There's more. If you believe that you're done, that you're finished, it even tells us that our thanks, 
thankfulness. We should be overflowing with thankfulness, it says in uh, chapter 2 of Colossians. That we're built up and rooted and strengthened in the faith as we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness is the way it says it in verses 6 and 7. That we have this overflowing, that there's more things to be thankful about. The Bible tells us his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Well, if his mercies are new every morning, then we never should be done thanking the Lord for all the marvelous things that he's done because there's more. And God wants to do more in your life and my life on a daily basis. But if we're not anticipating it, if we're not looking for it, we kind of develop that idea that, eh, we're done. You know, we gave our life to Christ a long time ago. We received Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we got enough, and we have enough information, and we have enough to deal with. No, there's more. There's more. I could tell you story after story of people getting together around the world, some of our leaders that ended up meeting at a train station in Cairo, Egypt, from different countries because they came together in obedience to the Lord that God had called them there. And now there are hundreds and hundreds of churches being planted in uh, that country because of the obedience of those people to understand that God had given them a vision and they met together and they understand that God has more than all we could ask or imagine. So wherever you're at in your life, whatever circumstance you believe that you're dealing with, that you're wrestling with and say, is there an answer to this? Let me tell you something. There's an answer to that. But there's way more than just an answer to that. There's transformation. There's a difference that God will make. And he's never going to stop, just like he's never stopped his creative work in the universe. He will never stop his redemptive work among people. And he will never stop pouring out more grace and helping you increase in your faith and having this spillover love so that in all circumstances, in every circumstance we have, like that verse in 2 Corinthians 9, Verse 8, it says, for everything, every time, every need that you have, his grace will abound more and more. There's more. I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and praise for your goodness to us. I thank you for the privilege of understanding, Jesus, that you poured out your Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it would be easy to say, okay, well, that was wonderful, but Lord, you haven't stopped. You continue to fill people that seek you. You continue to take those people who even mature disciples and giving them more reason for praise. And every morning we get up, we have an opportunity to do that. And Lord, there are people right now that are listening to me that, have, that know you, that love you, but they've gotten trapped in sin and they think maybe it's a downward spiral. But Lord, I pray that you'd help them to see there's more. There's more grace for them. There's more healing and redemption and deliverance for them. And I pray, God, that you would embark on that road with them in their home, in their car, wherever they are right now. Lord, I pray that you would start that journey for them to understand that there's more and that you desire to pour out your blessings and work your transforming work, your healing work in their lives. Lord, would you do it more and more? And every day, Lord, would we be overflowing with the love of Christ in our lives and overflowing with thanksgiving. And we will even give you praise right now for that overflow. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, who's still saving people and doing more. Amen. Amen. God bless you.